0: continue our look at the names of Christ. What's in a name? Our purpose today is we think about a name. A name is defined as a word or an expression or a combination of words that designate the knowledge of someone. Okay, So a name is more or less a title. A name is identification. A name is a relationship. We talked about this last week. Now, as a casual view of the scripture, we can see that God is into names. Um, There are circumstances in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that says that names are very important. Maybe something took place in a town or a region, and that region was named after that event. Maybe a child was born in a difficult or challenging life and life circumstance, and they were named after that. Names were named after people. Names were named after time. Names, names were given in views of hopes and dreams even of people. So names are important in the Bible. So they're just not titles in our Western culture. A name is just a label that we put on something. Oh, by the way, the neighbor across the street, I believe they had their baby yesterday. So, so that's exciting. I don't know what gender it is, but I know that she's been pregnant for a long time. <laughs> At least nine months, yeah. yeah. I don't know the baby's name, but I'll let you know next week. So the names of God, the names of God are very important to us. Number one, they disclose who he is. He tells us his name, okay? In that effort, or that statement that we give to, or given to us in Scripture, is that he tells us his name because he wants to present himself to us. You see, he's personal, Uh, The names of God are important because it reveals His relationship with us. When He reveals His name, that's literally an opportunity of invitation to come to know and to commune and to celebrate with Him. The names of God not only discloses who He is and reveals His relationship to us, but it also makes known His character, His power, His presence, His attributes, so names aren't neutral. The names of, God's, of God are not. In fact, it gives us the importance of the infinite knowledge of who he is for all of us. Now looking at scripture, I love it when God presents to us events and how he has shown himself mightily in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You see, we can think about the time where the Israelites were enslaved there in Egypt. And God showed Himself mighty with the many plagues that were presented to the Egyptians. Oh, which, were by the way, were confronting the the deity, pagan gods that the Egyptians had celebrated. They were answers that God had showed Himself overpowering the false religions there at that time, specifically the time in which Egypt had uh, Israel had left Egypt, and they were going to the Red Sea. And I can only imagine what that looked like as the Red Sea was parted and the Israelites had crossed on dry land toward the promised land. That even in the New Testament, we can see that God had shown himself in Christ mightily. That when Jesus turned the water into wine, the time in which Jesus fed the 5,000, the time in which Jesus healed a sick boy, the time that there was a man who was very, very ill, after 38 years, he'd been lying beside that pool in Bethesda, and Jesus said, take up your pallet and go home. Mightily. When Jesus presents himself, when God presents himself, it's very exciting and it's very intentional. Last week, we discovered the name Jesus. As you recall in, in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, that Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, had a dream and a message was given to him by an angel and said, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she is bearing, which is not yours, but is the son of God, go ahead and take this this woman as your wife and receive this child. And we discovered in Matthew 121 the Bible says, "You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins." So his name literally means God saves, and we talked about that last week. Now we're looking at John chapter 8 today, and we're going to be kind of taking a cursory view of this and hopefully grasp the intensity of what was going on because Jesus says some things that are very profound, that we cannot disagree, we can't turn away, we can't disregard what Jesus was giving to us today. You see, Jesus' ministry was well underway. He was spending time with people. He was encountering them. People were listening to him, and they were believing in what he was saying. They were captivated by how he was presenting information, but some were even resisting You know, even so that the resistant Jews wanted to, when it was looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus, they wanted him to just go away. He was bringing some dissension. He was bringing confusion into the culture that they had established. So discourses and debates had occurred. In fact, these religious leaders they were looking for a reason to dismiss him, publicly disgrace him. And looking for the the nation to reject Him. But some were looking to believe. So it begs the question, right? We're still asking it today. So who is Jesus? Is He a good man? A moral teacher? A figure from history? Is He a bad man? Did He come to deceive? To misdirect? The question still lingers. So the the discussion begins. The Jewish people in this time, they knew about his family. They knew Joseph. They knew Mary. They knew his other siblings from Nazareth. They knew that he was a carpenter's son. But really, truly, as they look through the scriptures, he's presenting himself as being this This religious, profound, possibly the Christ. He came from Nazareth in Galilee. And the Bible says as they were debating, no prophet comes out of Galilee. There's no prophecy about all that. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. So why is there so much confusion? What is going on? Who is this? Jesus knew exactly. The Bible, as we see in John 8, 28, some interesting things. Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Jesus knew what was going on. And He's telling them what's going to come down the road. And there'll be a day in which people will fully understand who He is. In what he'd come to do. Well, they weren't hearing all of this. There was some discussion about, exactly who are you? There's some discussion about Jesus telling you, listen, you're from below, and I'm from above, and the things I tell you are spiritual things that I've heard from the Father, and I relate to you. And he said, "Oh, wait a minute, we have a religious orientation Our forefathers, Abraham, they had this idea that they were biologically related to Abraham, that they were in. They had an in with God. And Jesus said, no, that's not what it's all about. It's about faith. And Jesus said, listen, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you will learn the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the Jewish people said, they stood back and they said, free? Free? We've never been enslaved to anybody. Now, What were they thinking when they said that? Did they not know their own history? Didn't they come as slaves out of Egypt when Moses came to set them free? Didn't they become under bondage under the Babylonians and the Assyrians in short points of history and time that even the pagan nations of Canaan didn't they, didn't they really realize? Could they see on their own personal horizon that they were oppressed by the Roman government? They were enslaved by a Roman and foreign power? And they come back and they say, we've never been enslaved But What were they thinking that Jesus said anybody who commits a sin is a slave to sin? And he relates to them. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But they say, well, listen... If you Jesus said, if you guys are really the descendants of Abraham and you think that you're in, then do the deeds of Abraham, but why are you trying to kill me? And he says in John chapter 8, verse 43. He says this Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. The Bible says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them. Jesus told them, you call yourself the children of Abraham, but in reality, your father is the devil. That's why you seek to kill me. You see, they had an an expectation of Christ that he didn't fit. They wanted to be affirmed in their own right. Their own place. Their own persona. Their own pride. Their power. Their prestige. The status. And even James in chapter 2 tells us, listen, isn't it the rich oppressors or the ones who blaspheme the name? the, The fair name that you've been called? It's the name. It's the name. They couldn't hear what he had to say. It was like, it doesn't work. They weren't redeemed. We often wonder as we look at our society, we think about the decisions that are being made, and we understand what the Bible has to say. But folks, if a person is not redeemed, they don't understand what the Bible has to say. It's the Holy Spirit who inspires us and teaches us. And so there's a real clear cut. The society has given to us through Christ. A distinction. One can't or the other. Those who hear and those who can't. And those who can't won't. They'll make a decision that they don't want to change. They dislike what God has to offer, they disagree with who Jesus is. There's resistance. They were not of God. 1 John 4 9 says this. We're from God, the Apostle says. He He who knows God listens to us. He who is not of God does not listen to us.
1: By this we know the
0: spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do you hear that? Do you see that? We're from God. People who disregard, the Apostle says, is because they don't know Him. They don't know Him. In our times today, we have celebrities that talk about God all day long, but there's no mention of Jesus. We have politicians that do the same thing, pandering to find a vote. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Christ? We have preachers today that do the same thing. It's all good to be religious. It's all good to gather and sing songs and pat each other on the back. And oh, by the way, there's all kinds of different ways to go to heaven. Jesus is just one way. We hear that in pulpits across America. That is a lie. If there was any other way to go to heaven, if there's any other road that is provided, then Jesus came for no reason at all because we could just get there ourselves. That Jesus is very clear. Now, I want to say this. This is not a prophecy that you just watch out. Easter's coming. What's Easter all about? (laughs) Bunnies and eggs and plastic grass and sick kids because they ate too much candy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But listen closely. Every time Christmas and Easter comes around, we see publications that are made available in our culture that disregard the message of the Bible. The birth of Christ and His resurrection. You see it? It all comes down to Jesus Christ. It all comes down. Now, you're saying all of that to say what, Craig? Jesus has a name. And it's more than Jesus. So there was some discussion that took place. Jesus states His name. In John 8, 56-58. Your father rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And was glad. Talking about Abraham. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Listen closely. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. This word, I am, these two words, is Jesus' name. It's Jesus' name. Ego amin. Where does this come from? As you know, Moses was the deliverer of Egypt. Excuse me, deliverer of the Israelites out of Egypt. I was getting stupid, turn <laughs> And so, looking at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, after God had given him specific Moses instruction how to lead this nation out, and how to communicate to them what's going on, so Moses has a question. Then Moses said to God, behold, listen, I like the way it's structured, you can't see this in English very well, but in Hebrew, it's almost like it pops, it says, behold, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. So I'm going to go to Israel, and they're going to ask me something. Let's read what it says. Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said Thus. You shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. Now this is very significant. What Jesus is saying and what the Bible is saying in reference to Jesus' name, I am, there's seven things that are very important about this. It tells us who he is. Number one, He's alive. You know, back in the 60s, there was a magazine called Time that wrote an article that said that God is dead. Many of you probably remember that. Many of you read about it. But I'm here to tell you today, our God is not dead. He has never been dead, and He never will be dead. When He said, I am, He's saying this, I am alive. What I also be saying is this that God is not abstract or impersonal force. He's just not some spiritual dynamic of impersonalness and how he's trying to relate to his creation. God has personality. When he says that I'm lying, he says I'm not abstract, and I'm not impersonal, and I'm pre existent. There was never a time in which God was not. It's funny how we as people try to put God in our understanding and God is forever saying to us, I am not like you. He's always been. We think the beginning and the end. We're going to learn something at the end of our time together about what God has to say about that. God is telling us here when He says I am, He's saying I was and I am and I will eternally be. I am, he's saying he is the self-sustaining all-powerful one who transcends space, time and dimension when God says I am he's saying that he's complete lacking nothing no need of anything he's totally self-sustaining and he was never again created essentially Jesus is saying That he is, I am. He's telling the Jewish people 2,000 years ago exactly who he is. In our context in John chapter 8, twice the Jews said this. Who are you? And who do you make yourself out to be? Then ultimately, ultimately, there's no doubt at all in regard to how Jesus defines Himself in His orientation to the Father and His relationship to us. Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. The high priest speaks to Jesus as He stood before Him as he was arrested and placing upon Jesus an oath, I'm asking you to tell me in an oath exactly who you are. Listen to what happened. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, What did he say? Amen. I am. And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. So Jesus said, I am who I am. I am the one referred to in the book of Exodus. This is a very loaded phrase. You see, He's saying that not only is he the I am, but he's saying that he is, he is a position of authority and all will be responsible because of judgment and he is coming. I feel the reason why I'm led to share this, this series with you about who Christ is is to help us to be reminded in desire for us to dig deeper into the reality of Christ, that we don't come to church to play church, that we just don't come and your stories about this or that, or about how things can make us feel better about stuff. You have to know this. We're living in a time in which this message of the reality of Christ, who is God, is being diluted down and is being lost in the political and religious world. And God has called us all to dig deeply and understand what He has said about Himself. Because that gives us orientation of how we will relate to Him eternally. What we're looking at today is a gem. If we can hang this around our neck, we can wear it on into eternity. The name of Christ defines His role his responsibility, his relationship, and the message that he desires us to understand. We need to know this. You need to know this. When others are playing religious games, and the watering down of the message of the gospel happens all around us, I believe that God has called us to be stones of foundation in a world that has lost its way. We must remember these things. You know, sometimes, some of the things that Jesus says to us is really kind of vague. I mean, we read the Bible, and we kind of scratch our heads a little bit, and we're wondering, what in the world is all this all about? When Jesus said to those Jewish leaders that were there in John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. Because their response was they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. They wanted to execute him. They knew exactly what he was saying. He was blaspheming, and according to the Old Testament, he had to die. But Jesus hid himself and walked away. They knew exactly. Now we come to our stand. This is where we are. What does all of this mean to us? What did Jesus say about himself in regard to the I am? In the Gospel of John, there are seven I am's that define to us who Jesus is and what he is saying. He says this. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 48. This means that Jesus is our sustainer. He gives us all that we need. Jesus said that I am the light of the world. He's the illuminator. He's the one who enlightens our souls that leads us to salvation. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the mediator. He brings us where we could otherwise not go ourselves. When Jesus said that I am the good shepherd, it means that He is our caretaker. He cares for us. Just like everything that we need, He leads us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the life giver. He has brought us from death into an eternal existence. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's our leader. He guides us through life and the difficult challenges and questions that we face. And lastly, he says, I am the true mind. He is the one that brings success to us. Spiritual success. He makes us Unbelievably, spiritually, potent, powerful, and productive. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. am. Could you be any more clear? Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. The last chapter of the Bible the book of Revelation, the Apostle John wrote this as he received a vision there on the island of Patmos in which he was exiled. Revelation. It's right before maps. (laughs) Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly, And my reward is with me To render to every man According to what he has done I am the Alpha And the Omega The first and the last The beginning and the end What is the Alpha and the Omega? It's the Greek alphabet Alpha is the first letter Omega is the last letter Can we add a letter to our alphabet? No Why? It's complete Can we add to anything that Jesus said Or did or promised? No He says, I'm complete. You can't take anything from me and you can't add anything to me. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. And he says in 2220 He who testifies to these things says Yes I am coming quickly. I am. Let's remember Let's remember that our Lord has not been silent. He's told us who He is. He's told us what He's done. And He's told us what He's going to do. Jesus Christ is the I Am. When He says I Am, He's saying God Almighty. I came across a very profound profound quote. It's by C.S. Lewis, the writer philosopher and preacher of the gospel of Christ. You see this I am is the extreme and supreme a disclosure of who Jesus Christ is. This is what C.S Lewis says. He says, I'm ready to accept Christ as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God have we heard this. I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. I just don't believe he's God. Now let's finish what he has to say. That is one thing we must not say. A man was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. Or you can fall at His feet and call Him Lord and God. Listen. But let not, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about His being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Very clear. When Jesus said, I am... It was the greatest testimony of his self-presentation humanity has ever experienced. Four things I want to ask us to do, Bill and Number one, don't lose sight of who Jesus is. Don't let the mores and the ethics and the ideas of our time sway you away from the gospel foundational truth of the great I Am who is Jesus Christ. Don't lose this. It's important. Oh, by the way, we're all going to see Him. We're all going to lay our eyes on Him. And He will lay His eyes upon us. Number two, listen closely to what people have to say about Christ. Because how they orient themselves to Christ will tell us their spirituality. We hear in our culture today that says this. You can believe anything about God that you want, as long as you're sincere. Because it's the idea that we define Him as what we want... And if we're sincere about it, it's all good. Third thing. Go to Him. Go to Christ. He has made Himself available to all of us. He has told us in Matthew, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites us to come. And I believe it's in 1 Peter that says, Cast every care upon Him because He cares for you. God has time for you. Has this been your experience over the last year or so? Every time you need some assistance from some corporation or some governmental something, that you're stuck on hold, and you hear the cheesy music, and then they tell you every two minutes that you're not... Being ignored, you're next in line. How do you know that? (laughs) God will never put you on hold. He will never put you on hold. you know why? Because He's God Almighty. He has the resources of a million, million, million universes. He knows what's happening 20 million light years ago and 20 million light years in the future all at once. And you know what's crazy about God? Every one of the hairs of your head are counted. And it's not numbered. It's a name. That's how much he knows you. Now let me close with an illustration. God cares for the details of our lives. Things that we would think that that's just so insignificant. God doesn't have time for that kind of foolishness. When Kim and I left the Northwest to go to Bible college, we were broke. We didn't have four hundred dollars to our name when we walked onto the campus at Florida Baptist Theological College. We lived on campus in a house, a little three bedroom house, little little three bedroom house. It was probably seven hundred square feet, real small. But it was campus housing. We were given one key to the mailbox. And when we were given that key, the gal behind the counter in the administration office checked it off, off, and she said, Craig and Kim, you have one key. Don't lose this key. Because if if this key needs to be re-keyed to this lock that's assigned to you at your mailbox, it's going to probably cost you over $100 for a locksmith to do it. And I thought... Both hands. (laughs) hands. But one hot day, grass grows like crazy in Florida. They water the lawn. It gets up to a bazillion degrees during the day. Feels like it. In the grass, it seemed like you could hear it grow. And so between our house at the end of the drive to where the mailbox was, the grass was about this deep. And we're walking through the grass, and then we get to the mailbox. And we like going to the mailbox because we were these starving Bible students. The people that knew and loved us and felt sorry for us occasionally didn't send us a check. <laughs> and so we would get out there and open that up. And, oh, I've got a check, you know, or a bill. <laughs> and I looked at right when I said that bill. I don't know why. <laughs> but when we got out there, Kim says, you have the key? And I go, I didn't have a key. I remember taking it off the key board that we had with all the nails in it, you know, like it went all out. I remember, I had it in my hand. And it was between where our front sign is here, at our property, our church, about that far as the mailbox, and the grass is this deep. Where could that key be? And so, I started to cry because I'm thinking, 100 bucks is 100 bucks, and I've got two kids, And I eat a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, Tim, best thing we can do is we can just pray, okay? Can we just pray? God cares. I know we've always been told He cares. And so we held each other's hands and we prayed, oh God, you know where this key is. We can't afford to lose it. We we don't know where it is, God, you do. Would you help us find this key? We had our eyes closed and we prayed, Amen. We opened our eyes right there. <laughs> it's right there. you mean the God of the universe cares whether Craig can't get a mailbox key? Yes, he does. And that's how much he cares for you too. Jesus said that he is the great I am. No one can He revealed to us that we could have salvation through Him. He died on the cross. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. The debt of sin would condemn us eternally in terms of our relationship with God and would separate us from Him forever and ever and ever. But Jesus said, You don't have to go there. Because I went to the cross for you. Do you hear? Do you want to hear? Want to know? He says that I am the I am. So if you'd like to see Christ today, come talk to me at the end of our service. If you're a believer today, don't forget who He is. Listen closely to what people say. Take the invitation He's been given to you, and don't forget how important He wanted to you. That's all. Stand. Hey, Glenn. Yes closest for which means dear Lord thank you for this day that we're all here for you Lord and we just ask you to be with us uh, we pray that we receive this message totally thoroughly in our hearts that you are the great I am and we just ask that we share it with others and that you bless our week thank you for all that you do in our lives thank you for your grace and your love we just ask can you be with us and guide us in all that we do? In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs>